Hello, I'm Simon Rumour and this is Grilling, the podcast brought to you in association with Weber Barbecues about the lives and times of some of our most terrific chefs. In the 20-odd episodes so far, we've spoken to the likes of Tom Kerridge, Marcus Waring, Najee Hussain about their passion for food, from their earliest memories in the kitchen to guilty pleasures. And it turns out Michel Roux Jr. loves tin fruit. Yes, you heard it here first, tin fruit. And Paul Ainsworth cannot resist a KFC zinger. Uh, we've also been discussing outdoor cooking, of course, with our guests revealing their secrets to getting fantastic flavours from the barbecue. Now today, I'm grilling Tom Brown. Raising Red Ruth, Tom cut his teeth as a chef under Paul Ripley at Rick Stein's Seafood Bar and his great mentor, Nathan Outlaw, before opening his restaurant Cornerstone in Hackneywick back in 2018. Now, it's been named by Hardens as London's best seafood restaurant. Cornerstone won its first Michelin start this year, congratulations, cementing Tom's reputation as one of the country's finest young culinary talents. Obviously, the downside is he's an Arsenal fan, but um, at the moment, he's not going to talk about that very much. But the interesting thing is, of course, so far on Grilling, we've spoken to the proper old school boys. You've got Ken Harm, you've got Michel Rue Jr., Tom Kerridge, I'd take as old school these days. He's been around for years. Every single one of them, gentlemanly, polite, delightful, turned up on time. Tom has rolled up 20 minutes late. <laughs> How are you, my friend? I'm good. I'm good. You blame the overground. That's, this is coming from Hackney on the overgrounds, not the ones. Everything's oh, back to normal. Sorry. Sorry. I, I, got, I got stuck in a taxi today, but it, it's nice to sort of see it happening. All right, I'm, I'm going to start with this. I've, I've said it to you before. The first time I ate in your place is one of the best meals I've ever, ever had in my life. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. And I really, really mean it. I remember... I remember Sitting there, and like like you do when you go to a friend's restaurant, with someone who's who's you know skill you admire, and just saying to you, just cook for us. Yeah, and I was blown away. I love that whole thing where you cook amazing food that excites you and stimulates you, and yet somehow doesn't overtake proceedings. I, you yeah. know what I mean? And sometimes you go to a Michelin star restaurant. Where, I mean, sure. you work at the time, but you know, I mean, your your level of restaurant where it's almost like. You have to concentrate all the time because someone's constantly telling you what's going on. Whereas yeah, you course. don't do that. No, I think when I go to a restaurant, I like it to be fun. Right? I like it to be a fun experience. I don't mean like, you know, some gimmicky party popper thing going off in your ear. But I, like, I don't <laughs> like to, the enjoyable thing for me isn't listening to a waiter take 10 minutes to explain exactly. about where this dish was foraged or all the rest. So for me, I just want it to be easy. I think it should be an easy experience. I, I, and I actually think the food's probably with any restaurant it's the last thing that needs thinking about personally. And what I mean by that is hmm. the vibe should be good. The atmosphere, the, the setting, the music. I think once you get all of those things and then you put great food down as well, it should just be easy and it should just be something that is accessible and that people love. I, Do you know I, what I, mean? I would think that restaurants almost feel a bit like when you go to buy a house and they say that you, you know, if it's the right one within 30 seconds, Yeah, restaurants are like that. Even if it's like, you know, you're going into a greasy spoon or whatever, yeah. you walk in, you go, I like it in here. Yeah. And you don't know why there's that little X factor yeah, no, that you don't yeah. quite know what it is. Yeah. No, I know I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. Um, well, it's, it's really nice to hear that that's the sort of thing oh, about it's Unbelievable. Yeah. All right. Well, let, let's get to the nitty gritty because you've risen so incredibly quickly. But when you were growing up, what was growing up like in Red Roof? What, what, what was the family set up? <laughs> um, well, the high street in Red Roof's got about six cash converters and an Iceland. So that's, it's not this <laughs> idyllic Cornish. Do you know what I mean? I'm not like on the harbour. Like it's not, it's not the nicest place in the world. I mean, I love it. Fle- uh, Mick Fleetwood's from there as well. Little interest. Oh, was he? Yeah. Yeah. So it's me and Mick Fleetwood made it out. <laughs> <And> that's it. <laughs> I'm taking that. I say that fact all the time. 
you know, it, it, Cornwall's a beautiful place, and it's you know, it's it's a, it is a small it's a small place. So I grew up, I lived there for twenty eight years. You know, as a kid, and we did used to do the lovely lovely things like my dad, bless him. We we used to go uh, fishing quite a lot when we was kids, and we'd make pasties with mum and things like that. So they're, they're the sort of if you're talking about like food memories. Did they teach you those things at school in Cornwall? What to make pasty making? Yeah yeah, 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 that's all there is. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I always say, because because I went to school in Liverpool, we used to do double comedy in the afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> Beatles appreciation. Exactly. Yeah, exactly that. So what did mum and dad do? Uh, my dad was a builder. Yeah. So he, um, yeah, he was a proper, he's just the manliest, most like, what's the word? Like the most Cornish person of all right. time, like a stereotype. Sorry, that's it. Like a cliche. Um, so he was like a big, burly, manly builder. Um, my mum's a social worker, actually. Yeah. So, wow. Yeah. A lot of, on my dad's side, it's all sort of medicine, weirdly. He's like the, he was like the odd one out. Yeah. So he was a builder. And then like my uncle's a surgeon. My aunt was like the head of stoma nursing for West Cornwall. And it was like, yeah, it was, uh, so no, it was a funny old mix. I, I was thinking with social work, because that must be a job that you can't leave at the door. It's a job that I couldn't ever imagine doing. Were you conscious of the fact that, that your mum had work pressures, work issues, if you like, because it, it's, it's a hard job that. Yeah. I mean, not, not so much when we were, when we were kids, but, um, I remember her talk. I mean, obviously she, you know, with confidentiality and stuff, she's not going to, she would never spend a huge amount of time yeah. talking about it. We did know what was going on and she was, what she would do was, um, uh, help kids get to the right foster homes. So she would, she would make sure, and then she would make sure that they were being looked after right and all those things. When we was a bit older, it was uh, it was me, my mum, and my sister once, and we were all talking. Mum was telling us about some of the things that that sort of happened, and there was one time I remember, and uh, she was looking after this kid. His his family were really not very nice; like it was quite quite horrible. And mum, we, we were walking through Red Roof, and mum clocked the bloke who was this was quite abusive sort of man in his family, and we were like really small I think we might have been about eight I might have been about eight and I'm the oldest and mum had to just like she sort of just pushed us in a shop doorway no. and said stand there don't move just stand there and walk past because she was worried if you know if, if this man saw it so wow when I heard that I was like mum <clears throat> this is a mad thing for you to have gone through you know the other thing as well is like she's she always said about how rewarding it was uh, yeah. you know to help these people and like you can see that and I mean that's just my mum's just like the most mumsy mum of all, to, you know, she's just the most caring, loving person. So it's like a natural thing for her to go into a job like that. Yeah, it was a lot of pressure for her. Like just having to experience those things, right? Just seeing it even from afar, let alone for the people that go through it, to have to go into work every day and that's your job. I think, yeah, yeah fair play to her, you know. And what were you like as a kid? What were you like at school? <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was good. I was very, I was really. Believe it or not, I was really academic at school. I, I, can't, believe, I can't believe it. <laughs> I was very, um, I always wanted to be a doctor when I was growing up. Really? Like my uncle and that. Yeah, no, Probably I always, that. I wanted to, <laughs> <laughs> imagine me as a doctor. It's only not to do a surgery. <laughs> Although, I've seen the way you cut fish. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Fish, Surgeon's fish, hands. Fish in surgeon. <laughs> <laughs> Same thing. But no, yeah, I was, um, I was all right. I was a bit, I was a little bit naughty at school um, at times, but I think who, who isn't, I was a bit cheeky, but um no, um, what about food this? When you were growing up, who did most of the cooking? Mum or dad? Both? Oh, no, mum. My dad could do a good steak, yeah, but he, cooking wasn't his thing. When my mum and dad split up and my dad lived on his own, he had egg and chips for the first three weeks that he lived there every night. And he went, he had a chip shop across the road, so he bought the chips, so it was just fried <laughs> eggs. But my dad could do some good stuff. He did, he did a lovely steak. He did a good, uh, 
did a good roast dinner. But yeah, mum was mum was the one that cooked. Bob's what kind head. of things? I mean, just you know, normal normal mums. I was yeah. the most fussy eater as a kid. Honestly, I wouldn't I, I wouldn't go near vegetables. Like really, I was really bad. It was like beige or nothing. I remember I had a thing about anything red. So like tomato, anything with tomato, anything like that. Till I was about. 13 or 14 like quite old yeah it was really it was really bad but would you have tomato ketchup i hate ketchup i never eat ketchup i never have ketchup i've I never to... eaten a baked bean in my life as well that's another thing i can't go near him wow. yeah I, I won't go near him honestly because i, I, I used to work with a lad and he he couldn't have anything that was fresh and red but he could have anything processed red so weird, so, so he, yeah so he'd, he'd happily have tomato ketchup or he'd have baked beans right but he would never have a tomato or anything that was red in color <laughs> That is weird and still the same now. Yeah. Well, obviously you now eat vegetables, but you know what I mean? You still yeah. have that. I mean, I won't go, yeah, no, I won't. I won't. Um, if I ordered a, a fry up in a greasy spoon and it come up with beans on the plate, I wouldn't eat anything that's touched it. <laughs> like, it's, it's pathetic. <laughs> I, I get it. It's stupid. I'm a chef. I eat a million different things all the time, but I've just got this psychological barrier that I can't go near a baked bean. I love that. I, th I think that's brilliant, isn't it? That it's, it's weird, though, because it's one of those great things about food that, you know, the way that you know, my daughter, for example, so Flo was 24. Sorry, Flo, I tell this story a lot. She has a real thing about milk. Okay. Right, she doesn't really like milk particularly. Okay, but if you made her a coffee with milk and she's fine, but if you made her a coffee or a cup of tea and you she saw you pour in the milk, it would make her want to retch. <laughs> the the the, the, so the sight of milk being poured, she can't cope That's with it bad, at all. It? Yeah, what? yeah. Or if you're going to do strawberries and cream, right? She had the strawberries and it came with cream on it. Fine. If she sees you pouring the cream, she's weird. Really? Yeah. That's so strange. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> so so when did you, when did the interest in food then, how did you decide it was going to be chef rather than doctor? So I just worked at like my, like most kids do, like I, look, I worked at like my local booze, I had a Saturday job just washing up. I was like, what was I, 16 or 17? And I wasn't, I wasn't really feeling like the college thing anymore. I just, I didn't want to go to college. I was doing my A-levels and I was like, this isn't what I want to do. I don't, yeah. you know, I don't like the, the, the class, classroom environment or whatever. Um, and I had no idea what I wanted to do, like not a clue, which was a bit of a sort of scary prospect. Were you academic enough to have gone and done medicine? Yeah. yeah no, no, I wasn't doubting it, but you know what I mean? Because sometimes people say, <laughs> I said the country because, you know, I'm really, you know, if you, it's a shame you couldn't see that look. You know that, you know that look that your mum gives you when she's really disappointed? Tom's just done that to me. I was, I was like top of the class. Yeah, I but I don't know that, but you know what I mean? Sometimes people go, for example, Nisha Katona, right. she kind of was saying that, you know, her, her family, they were all kind of doctors, same thing. But then she got a boyfriend in sixth form. And she messed up her A-levels because right. basically she was more interested in her boyfriend. Mm. So, you know, it wasn't the fact that, you know, you yeah. discovered, you discovered no, girls. No, it, was, it or, was just that. Do you yeah. know what it was? I remember there was a, there was a, a time when I realised that no one was making me go to, you know, at school, like you have to go to school yeah. or something. But I could just, if I wanted to, I could just stay in bed or yeah. I could, do you know what I mean? And I think yeah. that coupled with just sort of a lack of interest in like being in the thing, I was just like, mm, I don't want to do this anymore. What were your mates doing? uh what like as in yeah i mean was, did all of they did they all go to uni was that no no not really not really actually with my with my pals there's a, a few that did and but most of them didn't they were sort of a lot of them would do like you know like oh, i've got a mate who's an electrician back in yeah. Cornwall, those sorts of things yeah I, I just didn't i just didn't fancy him but i was i was working at this pub yeah like that. and um the summer was coming and, and the chef there mark and i remember i used to like idolize this guy i was like 17 he was about 10 years older 
and he had this souped up Vauxhall Vectra with a big animal sticker, like Animal the Surfing brand in the back window. Big, uh, big. I can see and why I, I like, can see why you'd have that little six, he was, romance with him. I oh, know he was six he was six <laughs> what colour was it? It was uh, burgundy. Of course it was burgundy. <laughs> with the pearlescent <laughs> on it. T Reg on T Reg. But he uh and he was like this mass he was huge. He was about six foot seven or eight, I think yeah. he was a massive guy. So it's like, you know, when you're a young kid and like we would do things like go for a, a pint afterwards and things like that. So I was like, wow, this is so cool. I like really yeah. looked up to him. And um, he said like, look, we're going to get busy for the summer soon. He was like, if you're not at college, do you want to pick up a few shifts? Like just helping out. And like when we was busy anyway, sometimes they would say, oh, can you go and make like, we used to do pizzas at this pub. Yeah. Like, can you go and make a pizza or something? And I was like, yeah, cool. I'll do it. And then it, it was really silly things that just like really, I found them really satisfying. And I think what I always say with, with chefing, I think there's such a short-termist gratification. It's like you make something, someone tries it, they like it, you're happy. Like it's a very yeah. short process. You don't have like this long-winded wait to get so, the reward that you want. Yeah, it's almost the principle of what everyone says about social media. Mm. That when you get a like or you get, you know, a view, yeah. then it's almost like that. And I, I agree with you. That, you know, yeah, yeah. 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 I, remember, I remember making... <laughs> Sounds so stupid. We had bank. We had bank. Okay, bang let, let's just let's just let's just recap here. So so far, we've we've found out the fact that you you have an aversion to kind of ketchup and <laughs> yeah. baked beans. That you idolised a man with a with a burgundy <laughs> vector and a, and a big sticker. And I said, this sounds mental. Looking forward to this, Tom. Right. So we had bang bang chicken on the menu, right? right? And it was literally we would make. I remember there was this big green mixing bowl that was like battered, and we would make the sauce in that. It was literally the recipe was mayonnaise that we bought, ketchup, yeah, right. a little bit of ketchup, yeah, peanut butter and Tabasco, right? And that right. was it, right? <laughs> Sorry to anyone who's like makes authentics. <laughs> and I remember making it and him going, Oh yeah, it's really nice. And I went home and I told my pals about it, and they were like, So literally you put four things in a bowl, mix them up. <laughs> and that was it. And I was like, yeah and i was so gassed honestly i was like really happy but it, it sounds so dumb now like with all but it doesn't but it doesn't does it because it, 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 at the end of the day you sort of think on that principle you think if you take four of your favorite ingredients and make something delicious mm. and like you know when you've never done it before yeah i know and it's just like i, I just really i got sort of addicted to this thing yeah and i think as well because um what did you serve the bang bang chicken with uh chopped up iceberg lettuce <laughs> yeah I think that was it, you know. I think it was literally that. Just the chicken. And it was like the cooked, we used to just, cook the chicken. In I'm just big... short of a recipe for a week on Sunday, <laughs> yeah, on Sunday yeah, brunch. Yeah, Sunday brunch. Chopped up ice. Yeah, when you see all that, <laughs> when you see that on Sunday brunch. Right, all right. Tom's next time you're bang, on, chicken. next time you're on, you're making bang, bang, bang chicken. Bang, bang, chicken. I'll make bang, bang octopus or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, okay. That's nice. your challenge. Yeah, it would. Nice, actually. Wouldn't it? Right, that's, that's <laughs> your challenge. I'm doing that, yeah. So go on. So, so you're making the bang bang chicken, yeah, and, you, and, and I, doing it. And yeah. I just like, I just loved it, and I thought, I think as well because there it was like it was quite easy to sort of work your way out. And the people that I really liked the people there, the, the the chefs and everything, they were lovely people, and they just they made you feel like part of the team. And it was like all, it was like this family thing. And I think I really, I really like that we have that sort of thing. Or you know, I like to think we've got that cornerstone now. But then yeah, so he said, well. You know, we'll give you a full time job if you want. You can do some. You can do college and just uh, just be here full time. And I thought, yeah, go on then. I'll do that while I while I find out what I really want to do. And well, that, how did your mum and dad really react wanted. to it? Do you know what my mum and dad always just said? As long as you're happy, that's what matters. Yeah. yeah. I, I remember going to. Well, we went to a 
it was like my nan's birthday, I think, and all my uncles and aunts and ever and we was all there, big family do. And I remember this it was the time when I just said that I wanted to do this and I felt I felt really embarrassed. And I think that's a that's actually a, re, a really sort of thing thing now that I think is negative about this industry is that it's, it seems like it seems like an easy way out or it seems like something but it's not. It's for me it's the most rewarding job. I mean, I got, it's it's a it's a wonderful industry full of beautiful people and you get to do something that makes you happy. And I remember being really sort of embarrassed and my mum was saying if you're happy that's what matters and my mum always said that about me me my brother and my sister that she's all, all of us do something that makes us really happy my sister's a hairdresser and my brother's a school teacher and she was like the yeah. fact that you're all doing something that you love and you're happy rather than just being in like you know some office job and you know nothing against people that work in office jobs but when you clock in and clock out and yeah it's like, but it's, it is a perception i agree with you because i think that it's almost i remember when i was at school then the kids who were particularly academic one day we, they go to catering college. So it was like, yeah. well, they can't do anything else almost. So they yeah. do that. And then equally, I mean, you must have had it as well. When you work in our industry, the number of people say, yeah, but what do you really want to do? And yeah. You have like young people who are, who are career chefs or career front of house, and they're still sort of regarded in that way. And, yeah. and I remember we'd had, we'd had greens for a little while. We had three restaurants at the time. So myself and my business partner, Simon, we'd gone to Ikea to, get some shelving or whatever. Right. And anyway, he bumped into a girl that had been at school with and like, you know, we're made up, you know, we've got three restaurants going, blah, 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 chatting away. And she said, oh, so what do you do now? So he said, you know, I'm, uh, you know, restaurants, blah, blah, blah. And this girl turned around to him and she said, oh, what a shame. And you've got a degree and everything. <laughs> <laughs> and it, you just, we were both crestfallen like that, but, you, but you're right, it, it is the way it does. So, so they were fine, so they were supportive, but it is an interesting thing that you kind of feel slightly embarrassed by it. Did, yeah. so, so when did you go from that stage? And so, you, so you're loving it, and, and I get it, that whole thing about like being involved in a team. I know when I first started working in hospitality when I was at uni, just working behind a bar, some people were students, some people were kind of like, you know, men and women who lived in Leicester and did it part-time, some did it full-time. I mean, everyone was just gorgeous. Everyone was just yeah. really lovely people. When did you decide that, okay, I'm enjoying making pizza, I'm enjoying working in a pub. When does that next stage you go in, right, this is what I want to do and I, I want to be not just a pizza chef or a bang-bang chicken chef? Yeah. <laughs> um, it was when I was doing college. I was there and I, I felt like I was, you know, one of the best students. Yeah. I was going in one day a week. So I was college one day a week, full time at work, the rest. I just remember all these people in like these other restaurants and they were just much, much better restaurants. And I thought, well, you know, once I finished college, I was like, well, I've sort of completed that now, I've done college. How am I going to get further? Because I thought I'm not going to stay. At, it was called Tr Tricky Dickies was the name of the <laughs> restaurant, the pub. There was a guy called Richard. You Bright, sold it to it. me so well, Liz. Honestly, it's still there. It's place, yeah, it's a place to be down in Cornwall. Yeah. Time. Yeah, everyone went there. <laughs> Thursday night, you'd have Thursday nights, you'd have a, a tribute band or something on, or like you know, like a local pub band. Yeah. And it was rammed. It's like you couldn't even move in there. It's like sardines, but it was a good was back in the day. But, you know, and I'm not slagging off. I, uh, I'm really, really not because I. To be honest with you, hospitality has many forms. Yeah, and you know, it, everyone that, had been there. Everyone had eaten there, and the food. The food had a good. I mean, looking at it now, it's not. It's no, no level of gastronomy really, but. The people doesn't in the claim area. to be though, does yeah, it? Yeah, no, it doesn't claim to be. But the people in the area would all come there and all eat and all have a great time. Yeah, and that was that. That was the thing. And I get, and I guess that's what a restaurant. Yeah. essentially, whether you think the food's good or bad, that should be something that that matters is that people go there and have a good time. Someone yeah. said to me years ago, and I still stand by this now, that a good restaurant and a good meal out in a restaurant should make you want to have sex. And I think that's a really great analogy when you set up a restaurant. Yeah, you know what I mean. It doesn't mean necessarily going to, but you know what I mean. At the end, you should go. 
oh no, that was amazing. You know what I mean? It's, <laughs> yeah. a, it's a sensory overload. And yeah. I really like it as an expression. I'm loving that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I do. But you know what I mean? Because when you think, all right, you think about all the best meals you've ever had or the best nights out ever when you've yeah, been eating. Yeah, yeah. It that is that sort of yeah is yeah, that thing get, yeah. yeah no I, I completely agree with that actually yeah yeah um, anyway yeah. so go on. <laughs> <laughs> while we're talking about being horny <laughs> so go on, so so you're at college you realise the fact that you're good tricky dickies is going fine there was a a guy there or there was a, sorry there was a lady who was like the college like liaison so she yeah. would come out and check that you're you know how you're doing with with and you know get all your certificates sort of things and she said like look my husband is this is a chef at this hotel in falmouth she was like and they're looking for chefs do you want to try it so i thought yeah i want to go and you know do something better and i'd, I'd done a few stages at this point as well i'd done right. it's funny i was talking to i was talking to tom akins about it last yeah. night and when he was starting he was saying he did the same he like hand wrote letters just sent it off to all yeah. the chefs and I do you know what it was weirdly it's sort of come full circle because I sent all these letters to everyone that was on Great British Menu at the time so it was this, it was it was after you was on it it was the second yeah, season yeah. before you get offended yeah. <laughs> so like, I remember sending them all off and I went up to see um, you see my lip coming out yeah, then Tom I, like I didn't get a letter from you <laughs> <laughs> or worse still you said and you didn't even reply I was, that, yeah, I was yeah, thinking yeah, oh my god <laughs> I sent them all off to, I sent it off to all these chefs and Bryn, I remember Bryn Williams. Um, yeah. He's a fantastic chef. Lovely guy. Got a brilliant restaurant, Odette's, in, in yeah. Brazil. He rang me up, actually, and I got this phone call, and I was like, hello. He's like, oh, it's Bryn Williams. And I was like, sort of, it was my, I remember at the time, it was like the most starstruck I've ever been. Yeah, yeah. I was like, wow, wow. So then I got the overnight train from London, up, turned up in Camden, like first thing in the morning, first time I'd ever been to London. Yeah. Went there, and I saw it, and it's just like, the stuff they were doing, it was just, amazing Beautiful. like honestly this yeah but getting in like whole animals like there's salt marsh lambs coming in yeah. whole turbot and things like that and i was like wow this is like you know I, I really want to yeah to do this in another level so and 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 funnily enough again like all this like how all these small connections he was like oh well you're in cornwall aren't you and i was like yeah he goes there's a guy there nathan outlaw you should go work for him yeah. and i was like oh i've heard of nathan like i don't think i'm good and he was like no he was like i, I worked for marco he was like, if you think you're not good enough to go and work there, think what I was like working at Marco's. Yeah. He said, you come in. He's like, but you get through it. He's like, you do, you know, you start off and you're, you're a little bit out of your depth and then you just, you work it so you're not out of your depth anymore. And that How long I did you stay? Just, so did you work for Bryn or did you? No, I was there right. one day. I did a right. day there. Yeah, I did wow. literally a day stars. What a nice thing for him to yeah. do. Yeah, and it, honestly, he was like, yeah, he was, he was the loveliest guy. No, it was just amazing to see a kitchen like that and how it worked because it was, the level was yeah. chalk and cheese from what I was doing. You know, no offense to any of you know to what we was doing back then, but it was chalk and cheese. And it was and was, that, was that that pivotal moment? Do you think when you when you went into that kitchen and saw how they were doing things and almost why they were doing things? Do you think right? This is this is what I want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that was. I think going and seeing that that was probably the first experience I really had of seeing something at that level. It's 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 one that I'll I'll never forget. That yeah being there for that lunch service and seeing that food going out and seeing the way the chefs worked because it was like as much as I was a chef I weren't a chef do you know what I mean yeah. next to these it was a complete it was another thing completely and to see that and I thought yeah you know I really want to do something I want to go and learn more and I want to go and see more and I think that's probably really was like the, yeah. fir the first experience I remember of that so what happened then so then I went off and worked at this restaurant in Falmouth um at this hotel which was good. Uh, there was a chef though. He was he was, uh, was he was a good chef, and you know we were working at this this hotel in Falmouth, and again it was like a huge eye opener. It was like seeing all these different 
this the, the uh, again like a much a much bigger step up to what I'd done. What kind of level was it? Uh, two, I think it was two rosettes. Like two rosettes, close, okay, close, yeah. close to and quite traditional hotel. Yeah, very traditional. Yeah, yeah, a lot yeah. of coach parties. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. it's that, and again, I'm not disparaging them in any way, shape, or form. But there's a lot of those sort of two level hotels where they're churning out some decent food, but the numbers they're doing, you think, you know, there's there's not a lot of scope for creativity with a capital C, really. No, and I, I mean, I think that I remember the chef feeling really frustrated, and I mean. I'm a hotel chef that isn't frustrated. Yeah. Because hotel, like as much as like there's restaurants and hotels, if you're a chef that wants to be like a restaurant chef and yeah. you're in a hotel, it's hard because there's the there's a lot of stuff that comes with hotels. Yeah. And I remember the um uh general manager of that hotel, um, he'd been there for something like thirty odd years, he's an older guy. Every table he would ask for like a side of vegetables. Right. And like the chef was uh, the head chef was like really he found that really frustrating it's like yeah. no we don't need it you know you've got these cool yeah. dishes and blah blah and he was like no people want veg people want veg. and to be fair like it was a bit six one half dozen of the other because a lot of them did it was yeah. a much older crowd yeah. they like to have a little side of like they want carrots veg. and potatoes yeah, and broccoli that yeah. carrots potatoes mon- yeah monge too it was yeah always we had in there and yeah, I was yeah. Just like, but no so then he was there he left and he went to work for paul ripley that you mentioned earlier he had a pub yeah in um it's a beautiful pub called um the St Q Inn in uh near Bodmin in Cornwall. Mm-hmm. He said, like, you know, do you want to come with me and, and work there? I said, Yeah, I, you know, I really, really wanted to. So I went there and he but Paul because Paul's been quite a big influence on you, hasn't he? Paul's amazing. Yeah. I absolutely love Paul. Him and Nathan. And Nathan had worked for him, so it's Right, okay. It's funny when I went to Cornwall a couple of months ago, I went up and visited him and Paul's got like a little it's kind of like a little calf, but it's just doing nice stuff, you know. Yeah. You know, he's just he's just sort of doing that. And it was me, him, and Nathan, and we all sat and had a cup of tea and a pasty. Nice. And it was like the free generation. It was almost like free generation. Yeah, yeah. So it was like I loved that. But no, I worked. With, but he, we went there with Paul, and this was kind of a pivotal moment as well. That the chef had gone there. He took me there. Paul uh, had the pub, but he wanted to take a step out of the kitchen a little bit. He wanted someone to yeah to run it as a, as a head chef. And um. The chef that was there, he, he was quite old school. He was one of them shouty old school, mm. you know, like that's that old fire yeah. and brimstone sort of type. And he kind of had this way of like making you believe that that was the only way that things could get done. And because I'd never seen another kitchen that wasn't like that, like if putting the pub aside, right? Because that to me, once I was there, I was like, this isn't real life to like be in yeah. a good kitchen. And he sort of had this thing of like, you have to be strong enough to get through it to the point where you're the one dishing it out. Mm. So it's like whatever fruit he threw at you, you'd have to like lit, well, literally fruit you sometimes. You'd have to just sit there and soak it up. I'd gone to work with him now under Paul, and Paul couldn't be further from that. Paul's yeah. the most lovely, nurturing, warmest, like amazing person, and all of his staff were a reflection of him. And I think all kitchens right. are, are like that, Agreed. really. Yeah. yeah. So. So we've gone there. This chef's gone in, tried to do his thing like this, and the chefs have all gone, "No, <laughs> no, we're not listening. We're not like." Yeah. This. So then all of it got focused on me because I would take it. So right. it was like I was the lightning rod, right. all his frustrations, right? And I would take, I would soak it up. And Paul and and Sarah, who was the, who was the other owner, took me aside one day and they said, "Look, we're going to let him go. We don't think it's working out." We'd really like you to stay. I know you came with him, and if you have this loyalty, but they're like, it doesn't have to be like this. And you can be, you can be here, and you can flourish. And you know, we love you and, and all the rest of it. 
and I was like, yeah, that's what I want. I want to stay. And that was that was a huge thing for me that that, wow. that we did it like that. But yeah, no, it was um, it was a big eye opener that. Don't get me wrong, like I was still I was learning even in this yeah. environment with him. But to see that and to be, I remember I was I couldn't wait to go to work. Like I genuinely I couldn't wait to go to work. And I mean to be honest with you, as much as like I love I love Cornerstone and I love all my all the place I worked at with Nathan, that for me. There was so much I loved about that place. It was it was incredible. And weirdly, I mean, I, I mean, I don't open Sundays, and I know a lot of chefs don't work Sundays. Sunday was my favorite day of the week there right. because you'd start an hour earlier than normal. But French Dave, who was on the starters, he would make bacon and egg sandwiches. We'd have Radio Two on in the morning, and it was like it was <laughs> it was it was brilliant. Paul was always in there, and this is something this is something that I always think now of like with chefs being inspired, right? So. We would do Sunday lunch, and for me, it's the best Sunday lunch I've ever seen. Right? Yeah. It's still good. It was still like so, so good. I've never seen anything quite like it. And we'd start off, and we'd start writing the menu for it in a week, and it'd be like we'd always have beef, yeah, another meat, a fish, and a veggie on the main, right? But the vegetables, you'd have say four, like four types, yeah. But with the vegetables, it was never just like carrots. The carrots would be like vichy carrots with yeah. orange and parsley, or. Yeah. Um, we we did this beautiful like cauliflower cheese where like rather than making the sauce with like a bechamel you'd keep all the trims from the cauliflower and cook them down with like mustard powder white wine and stuff and make like it was like a thick cauliflower soup yeah and then we'd cover it all in that and then it was like three types it was like gruyere parmesan and a bit of cheddar on the top so it was like quite intricate all of these ones yeah it's like you're making them and then paul would get excited because jeremy who was the farmer at the end of the road he'd have like some beautiful beetroot so he's like yeah we'll do these like we do these do these little candy ones or then in the winter it's like we'd have brussels sprouts with like little button onions caramelized and parmesan or or with ba- and and by the end of the week you're ending up doing on like 10 types of vegetables because nice. he could because he couldn't control himself paul he was like yeah well no i want to get that on and i want to get that on it's like the workload was increased by so much but you were so happy to do it because you were proud of like this beautiful food that you're sending out and it it was yeah sunday what was year are we then it? tom so if you're about 22 when was i there 2010 okay yeah okay so we're we're appreciating british produce as well at that time Definitely. as well yeah, yeah yeah and it was also local as well i remember i remember blokes turning up with with um rabbit and pheasant you yeah. know in bin bags that they'd shot over over the road and fishermen coming over there was a guy who used to go charter fishing in padstow which was just down the road and he would take like tourists out charter fishing and he'd come back with all the bass he'd caught and we'd just go and fill wow. it in. I remember that I remember that was the first big f- uh, fish filleting day that I'd ever done because I'd never I'd we used to get the fish in prep yeah. more often than not. But I remember we had all this bass and it was it was beautiful and like, you know, I've got Paul who's there who who he made a name for himself working for Rick. So he's this like he knows seafood and just me and him on a section and he's a huge Arsenal fan as well he, he took me to my first game actually folded yeah this first game which was Thierry Henry coming back <laughs> scoring against Leeds 1-0 I was like it couldn't be more magical you know but so I've got this and it's again it's like this role model thing and I suppose it's the same as it's the same as Mark with a Vectra yeah you know what I mean you're looking up to these people and like you're 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 soaking up this like role model like yeah. this this almost like kind of father figure sort of thing and I think that for me is like a huge thing of why I've like gone on. And then obviously, obviously Nathan, like just yeah. the the, mo- the biggest legend of my favorite human being ever. So from Paul, did you go to Nathan? Yeah. And how, 
Because of what you just said about Paul, how difficult was it to leave Paul? Or was it almost that you and Paul both knew that you needed to do it? Yeah, it was It was that. I mean, it was like from, from, the, from the pub, Paul left the pub and we, we worked again back with Rick at this place in Falmouth. And that was sort of like, you know, it was, it was I think we was there, but every year. And he, he wanted to go. He, he wasn't feeling it. He wanted to go and do a thing. And I'd gone, I'd actually gone and helped Nathan out because there was someone on holiday. Um, which you didn't, there wasn't really holidays through the year there because they closed six weeks yeah. over Christmas. So it was like everyone took the holidays, but someone was off and they needed someone to cover. So I went and did like like a weekend over with, with at Nathan's place. And then he sort of said to Paul, like, you know, is, is he after like an actual job? And and Paul's like, yeah, you know, you should, you should go and work with Nathan. So at that point, so Nathan already had a star by that point. He... He had two stars at this point, actually. Yeah. So, but he had two. So he had, it was the St. Enidoc Hotel in yeah. Rock, and there was two restaurants there. So yeah. there was Restaurant Nathan Outlaw, which was the fine dining, which was the two star. Yeah. And next door to that, you had Nathan Outlaw yeah. Seafood and Grill, which is where I went, which was like brilliant food. Like it was really, really good. But it was, it was the more accessible, like yeah. brasserie sort of. I was, I was trying to, I was trying to, I mean? I was trying to work out whether you were there because I, I only ate there once because I wanted to do eat in fine dining but it was with the kids and they were small I thought this is just right. going to be a waste of time and so so we ate is that yeah yeah yeah, oh, right. yeah maybe I might well have been yeah I, I think it might have been earlier than that though I'm trying to think because if you were either 2012 2012 I was there so yeah. Flo would have been 14 here's where we know I think it's I think it's a bit before that a little bit before um, um, but yeah anyway sorry yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I digress <laughs> and so when, so when you were there and you were on that side of things was the ambition to then move on to the fine dining side or did you not really um, mind do you know what? I didn't really mind. It wasn't. It wasn't something that I thought. I did. I did a few days in with the fine dining, but I had quite a quick sort of progression at, at yeah. Nafe. So I started there as a chef to party, two thousand and twelve, and then Pete, who was the who was their head chef then, um, he was off to open the Capital quite soon after. So I think I worked with. Yeah. I, think I was there maybe four months, and then Pete left um, to go and open the Capital for Nathan. Um, the guy who was the sous chef then moved up and then they made me sous chef. So at this point I've got this more responsibility. So I'm not thinking, yeah. oh, I want to go in the fine dining because I'm enjoying, you yeah. know, having this, like, you know, being part of that. And then, uh, Redis, he was called, he left after a year, I think mm-hmm. he went and opened his own restaurant. And then by then I was head, I was head chef, I was head chef at 26, I guess. And wow. Then, so, yeah. So for me, it wasn't, it wasn't like I needed to, um. I didn't think, oh, I, I'll be in this bit for a minute, but I really want to do that because I was enjoying that. And the, you know, the it's, a, it's a funny thing. Everyone that, that comes onto grilling, there's almost like there's a the bit that almost takes you from one point to the next. Everyone always sort of jumps over, and you've kind of done the same thing. So you started with Nathan, and it's what you wanted to do, and then all of a sudden we jump to the fact that you're head chef. That space in between. The learning curve to go from where you'd been, and obviously a great mentor in Paul, to then start working for Nathan, everything that he stands for, of course. Was it a difficult transition, or was it that passion then was so overwhelming that you weren't going to fail no matter what because you couldn't do anything else, even if you wanted to? Oh yeah, no. I mean, once I was so I was so like proud of that that I just and I mean, don't get me wrong, like it was a steep learning curve to be head chef, especially at that age, and I think. I was so lucky to have that safety net because I don't know if you, I don't know if you see this sometimes, but I think there's a lot of chefs who are, who get given jobs, high up jobs when they're still quite young. Yeah. 
and they don't have that kind of like yeah, the life experience. You know what I mean, that mis- yeah. but uh, to have someone there that sort of like Mr. Miyagi thing, like just uh, yeah. the, you know, guy that guidance and someone saying, you know, maybe maybe don't maybe just rein it in a little bit or yeah. do this and that. And I think if I, I if I'd have just worked as like a sous chef for, for Nash saying I've gone off and started doing my own thing as a head chef somewhere, I wouldn't I don't I'd nowhere near what what I do now. Yeah. And I think there's a lot to be said for that is like, you know, having someone there to sort of guide you and 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 that but no I, once once i was once i was offered that job i was so determined to yeah. be this and like to, i was so so proud of that role that you know i wanted to and i wanted to i wanted to please nafe you know he's like he's this legend like he's an absolute legend in yeah. the game and i was just like there's no way that i'm gonna let him down and now this was the thing with nathan as well was like you know obviously sometimes things go wrong in the kitchen or whatever i've never heard nathan raise his voice i've wow. never i've never heard him raise his voice. i've never heard him talk pretty much in a way where he doesn't have a little smile or a little do you know what i mean that's his, yeah. that's his that's his disposition of his personality that he's just this gent like a gentle soul that's just a love a lovely warm human being that just wants everyone to be happy and everyone to flourish and the worst thing was like if you ever felt like for whatever reason you let him down i remember being yeah i, I wasn't i wasn't the head chef at the time i remember overcooking a piece of gray mullet and him sort of it coming back, being sent back, and him yeah. looking at it and just going like that to himself. Yeah. And for me, I'm like inside, I'm like crying. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm like <laughs> I'm like trying not to cry on the section because I'm like, wow, I've really let love. I've yeah. really let him it, down. Always a thing, isn't it? And, you know, and he would be nice about he'd he'd say, oh, you know, it's, it's fine. Let's just let's just get it right now and just do it again. You know, it's not like he's even sort of making yeah. you feel like that. But I was just like, God, I don't, I don't want to let this person yeah. down. And... Yeah. But I mean, you're, you know, your your mentors, you know, Paul and Nathan, similar kind of thing. Were both of them about kind of nurturing and and yeah. gentleness. And right, I say this all the time. My dad said to me when I first started employing people, make sure that you give anybody who works for you the biggest opportunities to succeed rather than the likelihood of failure. And I think in our industry, Sorry. that happens a lot. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think certainly now as well, there's a, with the generation, you know, I've, I spoke to chefs who are a bit more with the old school side and, you know, if yeah. someone wanted to leave, suddenly they're dead to you and, yeah. you know, they cut them off. I mean, I know with my team, certainly I don't feel that at all. I mean, I don't, I've got I've no. got some absolute superstars working. I've got James, who's my chef. He's like, he's just like a better version of me in every way. He's like, so handsome. In fact, yeah, so the second time I went to Cornerstone, James was cooking and it was better. <laughs> yeah, it was better. It definitely is. It definitely is. I've, I, heard, I was talking to someone the other day and they said about um, they said about a chef that they know and he, he they've got a star and his thing now is he says he's a better restaurateur than he is a chef. Yeah. So he knows how to do it and, and I'm, I'm, I've nicked it now because I'm like, it yeah. just gives me the excuse not to be on the section. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. No, they're better. I mean, James is like, he's a, He's a fantastic manager of people. He's so creative. He's such a good cook. And I'm under no illusion that he is going to spend his life working for me. Yeah. He shouldn't. And I wouldn't. And do you know what? I wouldn't let him. I would, I would push yeah, him on yeah, to yeah. go and do his own thing because he'll go and make waves uh, in other things. And, yeah. and I had this moment when I was working with Nathan where we cooked at the Marksman pub in Hackney okay. Road. Yeah. And it's two of the nicest people work there. It's John, John Rotherham and Tom Harris. And they were both St. John like alumni. Yeah. They did that. They cut their teeth under under Fergus, and they did this series called the Cookbook Dinners, right? So they would get a chef in as a guest chef, yeah. And that chef would cook a menu from their favourite cookbook. So we were cooking from Rick Stein's first ever book from like 1980 or something. Um, and he was called Richard Stein when he wrote it. Then it was Richard Stein rather than Rick Stein. 
And we were cooking this and they were like, oh, Ferg will be here later. And I was like, wow, Fergus is coming, Fergus is coming. Yeah. And uh, they said, yeah, he comes to every one of them. And I don't, I, I don't even know if they've wow. like, got money in it or whatever, but he's just, he's got these people. And I remember the kitchen's downstairs in the basement. Yeah. And there was this mo moment when Fergus came in and he's, hello, darling, to everyone. He's like, you know, he's walks up, hug, kiss. He yeah. knows the kitchen porter. He knows everyone. Yeah. And John and Tom, they can, you can see this adoration, right? And I thought, this is what I want, right? I want to, one day, I want to be in John and Tom's position where yeah. I've got Nathan, Paul, come into the restaurant and I'm showing them and I'm making them proud by showing what I've gone on and done on my own and what I've achieved. But then one day I want to be Fergus and I want to be going to the people that worked for me's restaurant. James's restaurant is going to be amazing. Kelly's, yeah. Alex, all, the, all these guys that work for me, they're going to open brilliant restaurants and I can't wait to be old, slightly drinking too much, probably going out for lunch every day and going to their restaurants and sitting there and having wine and just basking. Tom, you like, do that oh, now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, that's a really nice place. But do you know what I mean? I think that's a lovely yeah. thing to see. And hugely, yeah. hugely. Hold that thought. So we're going to have a, a little break from, from your life. We're going to do our... Uh, barbecue and a and a recipe challenge yeah, yeah. so uh, basically all of our guests we ask them the same five questions first of all do you barbecue much i do like i do like barbecuing i've i haven't got a garden <laughs> so i don't get to do it enough at james's flat he's got like yeah. a big terrace and he's got um this lovely like pizza oven so we cook there a bit and and on that but no i, I do love it there's something special about it oh, i'd right. love to cook i'd love to cook more at the restaurant on open fire, open flame we the, yeah we haven't uh, got the extraction for it but yeah i mean that, that it's such a beautiful thing to do all right and so have you got a favorite memory of, of barbecue whether it's childhood or or recent times do you know what i was uh, i was thinking about this on the way here and i think for me there's there's a fest, food festival called meetopia you know meetopia yeah 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 which is brilliant. It's my favourite one. Um, and me and Nath cooked there a few years ago. And we were the first, I think I'm right in saying we were the first people to ever cook fish at Meetopia, right? And we did this, butter, it was a butterfly mackerel. And we barbecued, uh, barbecued it and served yeah. it with um, pickled vegetable salad and jalapeno mayo, right? It was lovely. Nice. And I remember that, like cooking on there. And Nath was on the front. He was like taking all the money, serving it up. Yeah. And I was grilling these fish. And because they'd all been prepped in advance, they were like slightly wet on the skin. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. they're quite hard to barbecue. So we had to get the fire so hot, like so, so hot to do it. And I was there and I had like <laughs> my arms, I had these big gauntlet gloves on and stuff. And I was like, <laughs> and it was so smoky. And I remember there's a picture of me that one of the photographers took there. And my eyes, I looked like Mesa Ozil. Like my eyes are like out on the head like that. Bug eyes. <laughs> swelled up for days i smelled of smoke but it was so fun and i remember they kept bringing bit they kept like bringing beers around as we was yeah. doing it and it was the sun was there and it was tobacco zark and i i, I loved it i was I, there were two we did it two days on the trot and the, on the first night we went out with a few of the other chefs and had dinner yeah. and we got a little bit a little bit drunk so i was a bit hung over the next day but it's like I'd absolutely loved those two days cooking, just grilling that Mac. Just... There's, there's something about that, you know, we say it all the time, the whole thing about kind of like smoke and flame, it's primal. Yeah. And it's just really, really exciting. I mean, I I, I used to do a lot of work with army chefs and um, every year they do this amazing competition out in Germany where you they did this on improv cooking where you had to create your own kind of stove so it'd be in a bin or in an old filing cabinet or right, whatever. Okay. And these boys are trained to do it. And every year I was judging it and they said, you're going to do it one year. You know, you, you, you're talking the talk, but can you walk the walk? <laughs> and to this day, it's one of the most enjoyable things I've ever really? done. 
because like, obviously they were helping me kind of build it and then I had a team around me and I'd all, but it was so brilliant. And it, again, it was yeah. boiling hot on the whole thing and you literally burn, standing over flames yeah. and just trying to get things right. It was so brilliant. I love the like, I, I love it as a way of cooking where it's like, you can't, you know, do it by numbers. Like it's yeah. a feel and it's a touch and you, you know, yeah. the, the flame has to be right. And yeah, you know, the, the, do you know what? it's, you can't just like put it, it's not like putting something in a water bath or something, no. which I, I mean, I never use them anyway, but you know, it's not that sort of thing. You've got to like use your senses. It's quite yeah. like in instinctive. You've got to touch and feel. And yeah. I, I love, I, I love that sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. I, I completely that. I completely agree. Do you have a favorite, well, I suppose it's harder because you have a garden. Favorite time of year for barbecue and all eating outside. Cause I would say mine's winter. I quite like eating outside in the winter yeah. and, being, and being warm and sitting in like a, you know, and, and, and all wrapped up like yeah. that with a heater on. I really like that. I mean, for me, you know, being the restaurants in Hackney Wick, sitting on that canal in the summertime and eating outside is, you know, it's you can't beat it. And also like going going home. My mum's got a, a big farm now. She lives on a <laughs> farm with a, with a new a new fella and um, she's got this beautiful barbecue outside. So something to be said for like sitting there in the garden, yeah, at, you know, in this farm and like the dogs running around and like my kids were there running around. I, I love that. So yeah, you can't, you know, I'm Cornish, aren't I? So growing up in that sunshine and yeah. down on there, it's like, you can't beat it. But no, I know what you mean about that. I like it. I like yeah, it. The, the, yeah. Again, there's again, I think there's something that's sort of very basic about it. Somehow food tastes better. Yeah. You know, sitting outside the winter feels that, this isn't what we're supposed to do, but you know what? I'm really, really enjoying this. Yeah. I suppose on a very different level, it's like when you come out of the match, if you buy yourself some chips yeah. and you kind of, you know, you, I mean, like, you know, I tend to think of this when I'm walking, celebrating for you, it's probably commiserating as if an Arsenal <laughs> yeah, fan. Yeah, you kind of walk along crying into your chips. Um, but, crying anyway. into my chips. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, all right. So, what? I mean, probably you've answered this one. Most ambitious thing you've ever cooked on a barbecue. Sounds like what you did with Nathan. That yeah. sounds like just yeah. volume and time and scale. Yeah, that was that was a big job. I mean, we did. So that was obviously me and Nathan. And then after Cornerstone opened, we did it a couple of years ago. And we did it with oysters. It was me, mm. James from mine, and uh, Alex, one of our other chefs. And the three of us went down there, and we was like right out in the right out in the sun, and we was grilling. I think how many oysters did we do? I think it was something like two thousand oysters <laughs> grilled on this barbecue, and just having them fizzing. And served them with some seaweed hot sauce, which was really good. And I was a bit scared. I was thinking, yeah, oysters. Like, but do you know what? Because there's so many, so many like pulled beef sliders yeah. or chicken wings or that yeah. people so they're eating that and then people are going oh oysters it was like a nice break so yeah i think it was a bit i was a bit like mm, are we gonna actually sell any but no that was quite that was quite an ambitious one yeah and have you any disasters then when you've been barbecuing, barbecuing. yeah yeah oh my god there was one time i looked so stupid doing it it was uh i, I was doing some was like video content for for um for someone they wanted me to cook something on fire and I was like, right, cool. I'll do a whole John Dory. And I was cooking it on this thing. And honestly, it just stuck so bad. And I went to lift it up. And there's video content, right? So they're like, this guy's a master of fish and seafood. And I'm like, cool. And I'm just like trying to scrape it off the thing. And like, it's on the grill. And I'm like having to turn it like that. And then I was like, can you get this in the edit? And he was like, uh... We'll try. <laughs> <laughs> and have you seen it? You ever seen it back? Yeah, it looked all right in the end because it was just the ones of it being heated. But you know, don't you? You know, oh, when you, God, when you, and you go, oh, feeling. this is never coming off. This no, is never coming off. It's a horrible, horrible feeling. But fish is hard. 
Yeah. yeah, I think it's that thing. I know, you know, I've been doing stuff with Weber for a long time and it's always the thing that people say, well, I don't really like to do fish because, you know, it's not the easiest thing to cook on a barbecue. So no. if, if what would your top tip be then for people to barbecue fish? My tip for any cooking any fish on a barbecue, even even if you like pan frying things, is to get it, like get it in the fridge and have it a, a day or two days before. And if you've got like a cake wire or a cooling rack or something, just leave it to air dry. Okay. Just leave it to air dry and the skin goes a little bit sort of leathery. It looks like it, but once it goes on, it won't stick as much and you'll get this beautiful crispy skin. Yeah. There's a guy in Australia called Josh Nyland, who people probably have heard of, mm. and he does a lot of this fish butchery and he, he, he caught, it's, yeah. it's like he treats it Amazing. Like and I, I remember he was here promoting his book and, and I watched him do this sort of, I guess it was like a seminar really. He was sort of talking a lot about what he did and showing us a few techniques and he just said, if you want something to be crispy starting with it being wet and adding heat isn't going to work and it's really obvious right yeah. so yeah for me i would always try and get we and we do it if we're if we're pan frying anything at the restaurant if we're yeah. pan frying bass or anything now we'll have it uncovered in the fridge just so it just dries out yeah. just a little bit and then it's you it's not going to stick and you'll get that nice crispy skin lovely tip all right so the second part of this is uh, our barbecue challenge this is when you get to be wax lyrical and we see how that education worked for you so <laughs> basically what you get you can have any cut of meat fish vegetables uh, that you want yeah. uh you need some kind of marinade or rub Okay. Some kind of side dish and a sauce. I mean, it, it's got a little bit kind of it's got a little bit kind of fleshy over the years. I've got to be honest with you. Yeah. But you only have forty five seconds. But you've got to sell it to me. I mean, you've got to imagine you're outside Tricky Dickies, and um, basically this is I'm your I'm your hero, right? I, you know, and I, I'm, you've got to sell this to me that I'm take me you, out in the Vectra. Exactly. Yeah, right, yeah, I'm going to let you sit in the front seat of my Burgundy nice. Vectra. Cruise for Virgin. Yeah. So you have forty five <laughs> seconds. Are you ready? So tell us the name of your dish and go. Now. Okay, so lobster with pesto butter and grilled courgettes and basil. So split a lobster in half, grill it on, on the shell side, pesto butter, pine nuts, parmesan, garlic, chopped basil, all blended with the butter. As it's as you're putting it on, you're brushing the pesto on and it's it, all the stuff's bubbling, mm. the lobster coral's bubbling away. Grilled courgettes on top of it. Uh, sorry, on the barbecue there. So the courgettes, you just split them in half, get them on the hottest part. I'm just looking at the time. Yeah, right? yeah. Get, nice, get them nice and yeah. black, cut them up so that it's just cooked on the cut side, yeah. but almost raw on the other. So you still got that nice crunch. Put them over the lobster and then with the rest of the butter, just warm it up, baste it over, and then some little basil leaves just to garnish. 45 seconds. <sighs> yeah, you know what? I. 45 seconds is good for me. <laughs> I, 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 I think that might be one of my favourites, actually. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, I hate yeah. to sort of say that to anyone else. That that is delicious. Stuff Lobster's a great thing to barbecue, though, isn't it? Yeah, I love cooking lobster. I love, for me, I know, I know it's a, for us, it's like always seen as a fish restaurant, but for me, I, I, I like to think we're more, we do a lot more shellfish. And I think for me, I, yeah. I, I get more excited cooking shellfish than actual fish these days. I love, you know, oyster scallops. Little crab prawns you know those things lobster like lobster on a barbecue man it's like, yeah. I know it's bougie I know it's like but I think for me it's just it's gorgeous because it can be disappointing on it I think that you know so many people cook lobster badly or are a bit afraid of it and so they well, they don't get very nice lobsters and don't get very nice lobsters yeah yeah that, that's the whole thing I think like you know anyone who's bought cheap frozen lobsters from a supermarket yeah. I think it's going to be amazing Canadian mm? ones it's never going to happen it's not no I think there's, I think with shellfish is like obviously freshness is the key so it's yeah. like people talk about it from various places and like yeah lobsters in scotland are beautiful lobsters in cornwall are beautiful 
but if you can get this from the closest source, I would say. So yeah. if you ideally you just want to get it or get it like we our fishmonger gets things to us like you know super quick from the market. So yeah. so that so there's not um the time for it to break down because shellfish it does it goes. I mean obviously there's a the thing of like you know you can't use a dead lobster, so, yeah. but yeah. they get. Or if they've been sat in tanks for ages, they like to soak yeah. up the water. Crabs are the same. So yeah, yeah. You know, when you split them open, just water goes all over the board. It's horrible. But yeah, buying right is is the first is the yeah. first step with any shellfish. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 and there's no escape from that, is there? I think in any cooking, in any way, shape, or form, you know, that whole thing about the best of the quality of ingredients, then the more chance you've got of cooking good food. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I, I'm I'm never one for saying that, you know, people should be spending £25 on chicken if they don't have the money to do it. But no. if you do have the money to do it, yeah. then the more you spend on any ingredient, you're going to get better tomatoes, better onions, you name it. Yeah, completely. And I think as well, like obviously, obviously paying more for things does help, but just just looking at what where it comes from first yeah and that and the processes of it and how i mean you you know you can go and buy tur- like if i'm using an example you can get turbot and you can pay 30 quid a kilo for it mm. you can get a beautiful gurnard at five quid a kilo yeah. and a gurn and if it's if it's a better quality it's going to be do yeah. you know what i mean it's it's going to be that every day so yeah. do you think that's good i mean obviously from our world as as chefs all of that is always been really really important do you think with the likes of kind of Brexit, et cetera, et cetera, that we're going to have that lovely return that we had probably sort of around the time when when you worked with Paul, sort of 2010, when it felt like local had become king. And we lost it. Went, with the recession, it then became, price became king again. Yeah. You almost sort of feel that it's going to come back, that yeah. miles are going to be important. I do, I, do, I do think that. And I do think, I mean, you know, as restaurants, uh, people that work in restaurants, we, we're seeing that it's uh, deliveries from Europe are uh, 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 hard to get in and yeah. you know the things are all over the place like that i mean it's always been a thing with chefs that buy buying local but i think all the best things need to like permeate down into into the general public and into society yeah. and i think if people start doing that and start buying local and don't get me wrong like uh, there's beautiful produce from europe of course that's never yeah. that's never going to go away but i think it's nice that we'll start seeing people you know, doing that and people are more discerning and people are more knowledgeable and more yeah. informed about, about produce and about food in general. And I think that's, that's a really good thing. And I mean, you know, I'm not, I'm not one for Brexit. Like that's not, that it, yeah. that's not my thing, but like the way that people just are now with how they, how they're viewing food and what they eat. I mean, I see it, you know, I'm, I'm in Hackney and you see there's some really, really beautiful produce yeah. being sold in, in various places and you watch people go in it. You know, I was at Broadway market the other day um, we were trying out a di- we were trying out a new dish, and I needed to go up and get an octopus. It's weird, isn't it? Pop up to Broadway Market and get an octopus <laughs> on a Saturday afternoon. But the queue outside the fishmongers there, yeah, was huge, and yeah. it, w- it was people buying stuff to go home and cook with. And then I saw I was watching people; they would go from from there to the veg shop, and they just so nice. Veg, and it's lovely yeah. to see. It's really lovely to see because yeah. I mean that's that's people do that in yeah you know Italy, Italy Spain France, France. Yeah, exactly. yeah exactly that's how they do yeah, it. Yeah. and I think. That's almost why, I mean, I love British food in a lot of its forms, but I think that's why we're not seen as having more of a food yeah. culture because it doesn't trickle down, you know. Brit- we embraced supermarkets almost too quickly, didn't we, in the UK? Exactly, yeah. And yeah. I think, I think you know, the, the restaurant scene in yeah. Britain and in London has always been like, you know, a front runner in, the, in world gastronomy yeah. right, for the last however long, 30, 40 years. But I always think of it when I went to Thailand, right, and it, you can't, 
you couldn't eat bad food unless you ordered something <laughs> yeah. that wasn't Thai. Yeah, yeah. Bec- but that's because it's so ingrained in them the yeah. importance of food and like how they treat it. Yeah. And I think maybe that's lacking sometimes with yeah. with British people in general because there isn't that it isn't like that thing where it's just in them from in people from an early age of like cooking and buying good stuff and going to markets and things yeah so i think hopefully yeah that might be one sort of silver lining to all of this you know yeah now before we go on i just want to let you know about a special offer we've got for you too at weber.com if you want to improve your skills on the barbecue, Weber are offering you a discount to attend their Grill Academy. That's where you learn to dazzle your pals with your barbecue and expertise by learning from some serious pros with different courses available to suit your standard and needs. And they are brilliant courses. The offer is valid for Grill Academies in the UK. Simply enter the code GRILLING21, that's GRILLING21, before the 15th of October at Weber.com and get £50 off when you book two tickets on a course. And you can find all the information you need at Weber.com forward slash grilling. The Weber website is also the place to find loads of great recipes, including a whole range of seafood dishes, which Tom would no doubt approve of, but maybe not the uh, mackerel and all the scallops and all the very difficult things that he did, but there's some great stuff on there, believe me. So let's go to the 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 big turning point then. So you, you work with Nathan. How did Cornerstone come about then? I mean, like a lot of chefs, I'd always had like this idea that I wanted to do my own thing. I knew what I wanted to call it for a long time. Um, since so it's called Cornerstone after an Arctic Monkey Arctic song. song. And yeah. I remember when that album came out, thinking oh, I want to call it, you know, I want to call a restaurant that one day. I it's a good like, you were a cheeky girls fan, really, because Touch My Bum wouldn't have been anywhere near as good a name for that's, a restaurant. That's really. one of the second restaurant. <laughs> it's, it's quite an interesting concept to that one. Actually. Oysters and growth in. <laughs> but no, uh, so yeah, so I'd, I had this thing and, and um, I've been working for Nathan for uh, not, not far short of six years. I've been on Great British Menu and I just really felt it was time that I did my own thing in terms of like, expressing myself and yeah. I sat down with him and as I, as I keep saying Nathan is the best human being that I know on yeah. the planet like I know I'm not exaggerating with that like he I've so much love for that man it's um it's unreal and I, we sat down together and I said you know I really want to express myself now I really want to be in a place where like it's creatively it's it's me yeah it's my name it's i get to call it what i want i want i get to choose the you know yeah. the decor I, I get to play what music i want i get to like impart my vision of this restaurant that i want to do i said i will work for you for the rest of my life right i will be a head chef in your restaurant for the rest of my life you can just pay me a wage you can own this place like yeah. and 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 you you know you do all of it and i was like i, I think i'll make you know money for yeah, yeah. like i think i'll do something good I'm happy to just be a head chef and not own it and work for you. But that is like my criteria that I want. And he said to me, like, why would I ever do that and take that money away from you? Like, you, I want you to go and do your own thing. And he, you know, he he really pushed me on and helped me and put me in touch with the right people and, you know, did various things to help make it happen. Why Hackney Wick? It was a brave move. <laughs> There's a couple of reasons. So first one was I used to go to a lot of raves over that way. <laughs> I just really liked the place. I really liked the area and I really liked the people that were there. Um, and I felt like, you know, there's not some huge business plan or, you know, this it's worked out really well, but 
basically the rent was cheap. Yeah. I felt like the people were good there. And I spoke to John and Tom, who that I said about earlier from the market. Yeah. I said, I'm thinking of going to the Wick. And I said, do you think people will travel? And they said, you don't need people to travel. People are already there. People have this disposable income. People in East London like good food. And I felt like, you know, for years, Central London was the one, right, of things you had, you know, Chelsea, Mayfair. Yeah. That was where it was. Then suddenly people were starting to do things more in Soho. Yeah. And it was out that side. Then it was Shoreditch was yeah. the thing, the Lyles and Clove Club and places like that. And I thought maybe it could that could be like the next one. People were doing things in Hackney and I thought there's no reason like that this can't be, if someone comes and does something good, you know, good yeah. and opens there that they can't, this can't be the next sort of step to, you know, how gastronomy is like flourishing out from the centre of London. And I kind of get that, and, and you've improved absolutely right. But to go in there and do fine dining, and I, and I know what you do is, and it is fine dining, you know, you've got a Michelin star now. It doesn't feel like fine dining in yeah. terms of no, the, I know the setup. Mean, yeah. But it's quite an ambitious thing. But funny enough, Ben, my producer and I were talking before, saying that your price point is very clever because you don't have to go and spend a fortune in Cornerstone. No. It's also a local restaurant. So if you want to go and have a couple of small dishes and a really nice glass of wine, yeah, it's actually neighborhood restaurant prices was that deliberate yeah yeah very much i think when when i was opening my restaurant what i thought is i want to take away all the things i don't like about restaurants yeah and i want to put in all the things that i do like about restaurants so i wanted it to not have a stuffy atmosphere i wanted as soon as you walked in you saw a waiter and you felt welcome right those various little things and i thought one thing i really wanted was i wanted anyone to be able to go there yeah right and I remember going to I went to, I went to restaurant Nathan Outlaw and I took I took my dad and my dad my dad was not a foodie person yeah. like my dad one time my dad won two and a half grand or something on the lottery and he took us to this greasy spoon that he used to love called Smoky Joe's and right. like, for like a eight pound roast that comes yeah. out it's like it comes out in like a trough it's like the biggest thing you can <laughs> so that's that was him right and I remember going there with him. And you know he loves fishing, and he loved yeah. he loved fish in that sense. So to go there and like try all this stuff, but my dad absolutely loved that meal, and I thought this is great because it's not it, good food. Shouldn't be just like we were saying earlier. It shouldn't be hard. Shouldn't to get into. And also, like I remember going as a young chef to a restaurant um, that's not there anymore that had a Michelin star at the time, and really feeling like unwelcome because they yeah. thought they thought who are you that we couldn't afford yeah it. yeah yeah because you know I'm just, I'm just a young kid with his girlfriend yeah. at the time and we went there and they and money was a thing and there was people like flexing hard on the table next to us spending loads and like you know they were couldn't they couldn't come over enough and oh maybe this wine sir and all like mm. this we had a bottle of wine I wanted another one I remember the waiter walking past seeing the bottle was empty, not even breaking step, just picking it up and walking off, not coming back and asking, wow. do we want and I thought, I don't want my place to be like that. I want no. everyone to be in it. I want anyone to go there. And price is obviously a thing, right? So, yeah. you know, we get a lot of industry come in. So, you know, you get young chefs come in there and money's tight, right? Yeah. So that's what I wanted. I wanted people to feel like they could go there. And, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not sitting here saying it's like a cheap eat sort of place. No, no, no. Not, but yeah. you can go there and you can get the experience without having, you can go, you can go all out. Yeah. You can do everything. You can go and spend big or you can go there. You can have a bit and get that experience. Were I you, really wanted that to were you nice. busy from the, from the outset? Yeah, we were. We, we, we'd always been, we'd always done all right with, with dinners and we'd yeah. always been busy. There was a, it was a lot of hype at the start. It was like, we were very talked about. We were like, 
everyone chatted about us and you know we won quite a few awards early on um which was really nice but my thing was like i wanted it to be sustainable because you know there's a lot of restaurants opening on i'm not going to name any of them but they come along they've got all this hype and suddenly yeah two years later no one's talking about them no one's going there yeah and then they close right i wanted to have something that was sustainable to last underneath that and i think yeah that was a good thing for us that we have we have a huge amount of like regulars and repeat customers which I think is a good sign for any restaurant that it's not just people going there, eating it once and then never bothering to go back. So you star, because I mean, you know, I, 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 you know, I've known, I've known you a good while and I've read countless articles on you. You didn't actually get the star. You first year, which everyone predicted you were going to get. Yeah. I know you didn't open the restaurant to get a star, but when everyone's talking about it in those terms, when it didn't happen, that must've been a bit of a, what? You know, it's a huge thing, right? It's a huge accolade that every any any chef that sits there and says to you, "No, nah, I don't want to win a Michelin star." Yeah, they're lying, right? Because yeah. everyone would want to. There's no, it's not, it's it. Whether you, whether you strive for it or you don't, yeah, it's a huge achievement. It puts you in this world bracket yeah. that's that's huge, right? And we were, I think, because there was all the hype surrounding us, and all, and because obviously my experience with Nathan, we'd had, you know, we won stars before. Like you say, everyone expected it up until up until, well, actually, even this this year just gone, I would get chefs DMing me, ringing me that that one that might get a star, yeah, saying, "Oh, have you had the call yet? Have you had the call yet?" Even up to the point of the night before, it was like we were the cutoff point for them. So, like, if we'd still not heard that we'd won a star, right, then there's still a chance right. because they were like, "Oh, it's nailed on." I remember we were on Ladbrokes at five to six on to win a star. <laughs> The year before we actually did. Um, and don't get me wrong, like, yeah, obviously you're disappointed, but that disappointment never changed anything about the way we did things. Oh, yeah. Just, it was so you didn't feel, you, you didn't feel, have we been blowing our own trumpet too much? Or not, not that you were, but other people were thinking, maybe this would have happened if people just kept quiet and just... Yeah, I think maybe, I, yeah, it certainly wouldn't. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I look back at things that we were doing on the menu um, when we first opened and they wouldn't get close to what we to what we do now, and you know, people coming in like Ke- Kelly was on my pastry chef. She was the biggest sort of turning point, I think, was with the way we, ha- you know, when we really started to sort of do things so much better than it than it than we had been. I mean, she's quite amazing. Some of oh her creations God, are just honestly, off the scale. So talented. Like, yeah, she's, un- she's unreal. She's, yeah, she's amazing. I'm so so lucky to to get to work. with So her. when you did finally get the star, yeah. I mean, you sort of said, yeah, yeah, of course, you were disappointed, didn't get it. So when you got it, was it as exciting as you wanted it to be? I know you've done it before with Nathan, but when it's your place, your vision, your yeah. world, your territory, that day when you find out. I mean, yeah, it was, it was, it was huge. Like, it was obviously, I was genuinely like over the moon. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, I I played this like whole cool kid thing like the year before, like, oh, you know, it's fine. Like, it's fine. It doesn't matter. You know, we, we do us, we just do our thing and, you know, we know what we're, but when it did come and I mean, it's such, it's such a big thing. And I think it was a huge thing for me as well to watch how James reacted to it. So James obviously is a huge prominent thing in and he's champion. He's the head chef, right? So he yeah. makes it happen day in, day out. Yeah. I, I'm there as well. I'm, I'm, I have my role, but he is the, he's the backbone of, yeah. Of he's at sure. the coal face. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And his, James's dad is a chef as well. Right. So James is, has always seen chefs and things. I remember him on the phone to his dad and how emotional it was him telling him. Yeah. To me, that was like, 
that was my achievement on that. Like I, I, that was what I enjoyed the most about it. It wasn't this thing of like, oh look, yeah, now I'm a special yeah. star chef. Like, yeah, watching how much it meant to him and the team. And you know, we we got a we got an email to from them saying, uh, you know, can you film a Zoom thing? Because normally they have a live event that yeah. you go to, but because of COVID they didn't have it, and they wanted to do a live Zoom with us. And we were all like, Whoa, when is it? And then we thought it might, you know, we we thought um, maybe they're going to tell us we want to start anyway. So me and James went and did this live interview thing and talked to them. And they said, you know, we've won a star. We were just over the moon. We called all, all the team. They all come down. We all like had a little glass of champagne to celebrate. Yeah, it was just it was so it was so nice. I know it's such a cliche thing that people say about how a team feels like a family, but I mean it really does. Like we've been through a lot together. You know, hard times, good times, and for everyone just to be there and like you know the the, the love that we have and like but, to, which, to realize that dream almost. It was like yeah, it was an amazing. It's funny when we start out. You know, I'll write notes all the way through this and. I put family feel and it's funny, you know, on a, on a very different level. I know when we opened greens 31 years ago, <laughs> talking of sustainable restaurants, then that whole thing that that's something that I wanted <coughs> because my background again had been with people who nurtured and loved yeah. and genuinely, I, I, you know, this, I, I, it's a completely different level of restaurant. But remember the first night I walked into Cornerstone, that whole thing you said about feeling that it was family, it felt warmth. Right? Exactly that. That's what I want. You know, it felt that, you know, it wasn't about you. It right. wasn't just about the food. It was about that that whole thing. And that will continue. So what's next then? Do, do you have ambition for two stars? Or No, no I mean, I, like, don't get me wrong, if someone comes and... Of course, but, yeah. But that's not, I mean, that is that is something that, it's just it's i just don't think it's on our radar to be to right. be that i think what i want to do is just keep building cornerstone to be cemented as a i want people to talk about the cornerstone in 20 years like they talk about st john now yeah any of those like real stalwart cornerstones of the london restaurant scene yeah like, do you know what i mean and yeah. I, I really want it to be that and i want I want now, you know, I'd love, to, I'd love to get a, a second one, a second yeah. restaurant. I think. Or would you now, do another cornerstone, or would you do something slightly different? Do you think? No, I, I don't think you could do it. I think it's like we've bottled the magic with that one. You know, yeah, to yeah. An extent, it's yeah. like it's so ingrained in the in the community, in the place. There, yeah, like in in Hackney Wick, and I mean, you know, the way I opened it, there's, there's the furniture in there is stuff that like yeah. from when my nan passed away, you know, there's a clock in the corner which yeah. my nan was given as a as a wedding present 250 years old yeah. there's a big mirror above the kitchen that my granddad carved by hand wow there's our waiter yeah. station is my nan my nan was a science teacher yeah and a scientist and science teacher and that was her desk like from her from her house and it's like you can't you can't replicate those things. no so like if you're going to go do cornerstone brixton or whatever yeah it just wouldn't happen but i think the next one i'd like to take you know the elements of the way yeah. we approach food and things and and move them and obviously keep those things going, but yeah, do something a little bit, a little bit different. So would you, would you go fine dining again? Or uh, yeah, again, just knowing how you feel about Nathan or would you almost like, you know, okay, so there you go. You've got the, the fine yeah. dining. Would you do something maybe more casual? Yeah, no, I'd definitely do the more casual yeah. thing. I think it would be the, ne the the next one that I'd like to do. I think I'd like it to be somebody you just, you, I can drop in and I'll probably, I probably would go and eat at the next one more than I would at right. Okay, it's like yeah, yeah, something with a little less. I d I don't like the term like casual or not because I think Cornerstone is quite casual. It is, yeah. I think something where it's a little less commitment. Yeah, do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a good you, word. Do you, know, do you know what I mean? You good go there word. and you've got like two and a half hours on the table, and it's like yeah. What takes me? I want to go somewhere that I can maybe be in and out in like yeah, yeah. an hour and a half. Yeah, a little less 
yeah. less commitment. <laughs> yeah. We've got one final thing that we need to do, and we, we ask all of our guests to take us to your secret place. So it can be it can be anything. It can be a restaurant. It could be a coffee shop. It could be a pub. It could be a beach shack. It could be a cake shop. Um, it can be anywhere in the world, and it's where you are going to take me. Say, right side, we're going to go to this place because I really want you to go because you're going to love it. Where are we going, Tom? So. This one I'm going, I had it the other day, and it's a fried chicken shop just around the corner from where I live in Hackney Centre. It's called Peck Peck. Right? Okay. And it's really, it's really good. It's great for us. It's the best fried chicken I've ever had. And uh, me and my pal Miles, when we go to the pub, what we'll do is like the next day, if we're feeling a little bit jaded, is we'll just sort of both order the Peck Peck. And then like, or, or one of them, like sometimes we'll go get a, you know, a McDonald's or whatever. But the other day he got the, he got it and he was like, oh, I'm on the, I'm on the Peck. And I was like, oh yeah. So what, so what do you have? What, what do you order? They do, they do these amazing, like, uh, it's, it's just, I mean, it's quite, the menu's quite sort of like standard. It's not like yeah, yeah. crazy, but just the fried chicken's just beautiful. They do this like amazing, um, <laughs> Mac and cheese as well on the side is really good. They do these fries with like the piri piri salt, <laughs> but the fried chicken, I swear, is, is the one. And the coleslaw with it, it's just like, oh my God, it's amazing. It's, yeah. it's just brilliant. I, I love it because when Paul Ainsworth was on, he waxed lyrical about the KFC chicken zinger <laughs> more than he did about Gary Rhodes' kind of um, bread and butter pudding that was he said was a real pivotal point in his entire yeah, career. Yeah. You've done exactly the same thing. If you if if you were watching this, you would see Thomas Sutton. He's talked very eloquently about all the dishes that you did. Well, and you are sitting there Dripping. wriggling like some like no, some small chat going, and the culture's great. I want to get on the pet. <laughs> all right, but, but no. we're going there. I love it. That's brilliant. Listen, Tom. Actually, one thing before we get one. Thing we have to mention, of course, because uh, Cornerstone is named after an Arctic Monkey song. Then what happened when he came in? Oh my god! Honestly, like I was doing cartwheels. Like I was there. Did you like, know he was coming in? Yeah. So right. So we're sort of quite close now with the with the guys who who manage who manage the monkeys. Yeah. And um, Miles, who I mentioned Miles Kane's like a good pal of mine now. So yeah, you know, we've got this quite nice connection with it all. And Alex put this table, and it was on Valentine's Day, right? And I was like. Oh my god! Like, yeah, he's coming. In, he's coming in, and um, I said to everyone, like, in the brief, and I was like, look, just roll the red carpet. I was like, you know, look after him. I was like, you know, don't go too much. And and I was just like, yeah, just make sure he really likes it. And came in, and I remember he come in in this amazing like suit, this like electric blue suit with like like this one shirt, but or a couple of shirt buttons undone. I was looking at. I remember being in service, googling electric blue suits, and then realizing. <laughs> You're not Alex Turner, mate, and you're never going to yeah. look as cool. Alex as Turner, who is very yeah. lean and slim, <laughs> yeah. and that you know, That's disrespect me, yeah. to you, Tom. Yeah, but know, yeah. Right, those that? thighs aren't getting exactly. in it in an electric course, blue man. suit. <laughs> but like, and he came, and honestly, he's just like the sweetest, like loveliest person. Alex, like, such a nice. I've I've been lucky enough to like see him a couple of times after. He's just yeah. like, the nicest guy. Yeah, you know, he came over and he was like sort of talking about growing up in Cornwall and asking yeah. about the oysters and things like that. And I was just like, this is so surreal, but. Yeah, that was like a big, that was a big, big, big thing. Yeah, when Alex come in. Brilliant. Aaron Ramsey was another one that came in. I was a bit like that, but uh, yeah, <laughs> we're not talking about football. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can talk football. <laughs> Mate, it's, it's always, always a joy to see you. Um, you know, and I, I think that uh, genuinely, you know, I started saying it's one of the best meals I've ever eaten in my life. The first time, well, both times I've been to Cornerstone, but the first time just absolutely blew me away. It was so fantastic. But you are a, a lovely understated human being. I think that, you know, what Paul and what Nathan have kind of brought to you and clearly the way that, that your mum is as well 
it sort of shows in what you do and like you know I wish you every success and thank you mate. you know yeah. and now having talked about your fantastic kind of restaurants we're going to eat pizza in one of my restaurants oh, and, and yeah. beer so <laughs> uh, Tom a joy to see you mate uh, good luck with everything you do mate cheers mate love you Thanks again to Tom for taking the time to talk for us. Peck Peck Chicken is definitely on the menu. And if you've got a Burgundy Vectra to sell, Tom is your man. He's been on the lookout for one ever since 2010. <laughs> and I hope our discussion has also encouraged you to discover what you can achieve in the kitchen and on a barbecue, especially when it comes to seafood. As I mentioned earlier, head to the Weber website for further inspiration. There are literally dozens of fantastic recipes to try. Subscribe to Grilling on your favourite podcast app and leave us a rating and a review if you get a second. It really is much appreciated. And tell your friends, obviously. Grilling was brought to you in association with Weber Barbecues and is an off-script production produced by Ben Backhouse and executive producer Zach Brown. Thanks for listening. <laughs>